had a sermon for us this morning, and I'm not going to preach it. So, this doesn't happen very often. I don't like it when it happens. But, uh, I'm going to switch it up. So, the passage this morning, we're going to go with Luke chapter 4 and then uh, Ephesians chapter 1. You're just going to have to ignore the image on the front of your bulletin and the passage on the back, because we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Let me read for you a few verses from uh, Luke chapter 4, and then we'll turn over to Ephesians. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And then if you can, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. And we will begin in verse 18. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those or for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God. And so Holy Spirit of the living God, pray that you would uh, be our teacher today. Uh, I don't have notes for these passages. We're going to need you to... uh, Be very direct with us about what you have for us uh, in this season that we find ourselves. And so we pray that uh, from the teaching, uh, from the example of Jesus in the wilderness, and from the teaching uh, from Paul, that uh, you would help us uh, to respond with a great faith today. That you'd help us to see what maybe we've missed. That you would reorient our assumptions, uh, our expectations Uh, our deeply but maybe subconsciously held beliefs about how things work, that you would reorient them so that you would be high and lifted up, so that um, from beginning to end, our lives would reflect a Savior who is ruling and reigning from heaven even now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, as Pastor Michelle said, on first Sundays, we do we love to have our kids with us, and so we do try to keep our sermons a little bit on the shorter side. And my son, my youngest son, will provide some commentary for us about avocados, apparently. So. Um, what's happening on Tuesday? Who's excited about Wednesday? Someone said maybe, right. Uh, so um, this morning I want to I just try to help us um, think a little bit about what it means to be people 
who believe the things that we say we believe when it comes to a, a kind of election season that we're in right now. And we'll just spend a few minutes on this, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. The first passage that we read comes from Luke, and this is a scene that we see repeated in the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Jesus uh, comes to the Jordan River. His cousin John is uh, doing his ministry of baptism, of repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus submits to this baptism. John doesn't want to baptize him, but Jesus says it's right according to the scriptures, that you would baptize me. Jesus is baptized, and then the Holy Spirit of the living God in the form of a dove descends on Jesus and fills Jesus. Now, one of the things that I think is most sort of interesting and surprising about the the life and ministry of Jesus early on is what happens immediately after the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus at his baptism. I think you and I, in some ways, are conditioned to want, to expect, to hope that when we have a spiritual high of some kind, that our life is going to look a certain kind of way immediately afterwards, right? We have this encounter with God when we feel this thing, when we know that God was present, when we heard his voice, we have certain expectations about what life should look like afterwards. Anybody, is is that just me? Right? Like, I heard from God. I had this new insight. God healed me in this, in this certain kind of way. So I can sort of expect that my life is going to be pretty good moving forward, at least for a little while, right? You sort of have a definition of what that good life is going to look like and what it's going to feel like. And so there's an expectation of what happens. What's, what happens immediately after Jesus is baptized? What happens immediately after he's filled with the Holy Spirit? What's the text say? Say it loud so we can hear He's led to the wilderness. Who led him to the wilderness? Who? (laughs) Mountaintop experience. Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove. Immediately after, that same spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Not a figurative wilderness. Like a desert with wild animals. That kind of wilderness, immediately following. And and the Synoptic Gospels are clear that this is what happens. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end, in one of the great understatements of Scripture, he was hungry. (laughs) Like for me, like 40 minutes. After the end of 40 minutes, he was hungry, right? 40 days. So this is a downer. Like, this is not how most of us want to sort of assume that our lives are supposed to go, how it's supposed to work. There there is a, a deep thing in us that assumes that when we're close to God, when things are right between me and God, when I am, fill in the blank, being obedient, when I'm reading my Bible enough, when I'm praying enough, or when I've had that particular kind of unmistakable encounter with the living God, we kind of know what things are supposed to look like, right? Like the rent maybe be paid, right? Like maybe I should sleep better at night. I should have a better sense of peace. My marriage will be easier. We can think of things, right, of how this is supposed to work. The text tells us that for Jesus... 
evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence was being sent into the wilderness to face Satan. No amens? The text tells us that evidence of the Holy Spirit's power was 40 days of hunger. The text tells us that evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in Jesus' life was being tempted in three different powerful ways by God's enemy. This is evidence, this is proof that the Holy Spirit is at work in Jesus' life. It's just not how I've been conditioned to think about God's activity in my life. That's not how I've been formed to anticipate, to look forward, to pray even for this kind of experience and this kind of encounter with God. But if we're going to take seriously the model and the life of Jesus, if we're going to take seriously the cross of Jesus, we're at the moment of the world's greatest suffering and defeat, God accomplishes our victory. If we're going to take any of this seriously, then we have to assume that for us in our own lives, evidence of God's activity, proof of the Spirit's presence, will often look like 40 days in the wilderness. Amen? That evidence of God's presence will often feel like God's absence. Is that too much to ask? That evidence of God's presence will often feel like God's absence. Jesus is filled with the Spirit, he's obedient to the Spirit, and he finds himself in a desolate, quiet wilderness where he's exposed, where he's vulnerable, where he's hungry, where he's tempted and he's tried. And the text tells us that Jesus stays in the wilderness until the angels of God lead him out. He doesn't leave the wilderness prematurely. He doesn't force his way out of the wilderness. He stays in that place until God leads him. This is often what it means to encounter the powerful presence of the Spirit of God. Is a sense of absence, a sense of loneliness, feeling tempted and tried, and yet remaining faithful. And if that's true... For us as individuals, and here's kind of the thing that I was hearing this morning. If that's true for us as individuals, then I wonder if it's true for us as the people of God as well. You see, one of the ways that I personally have interpreted this particular election cycle is that it's, everything is falling apart. That it's, that it's chaos. That evil seems to be winning that we need to resist, that we need to fight back. I think that's okay. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if this wilderness moment 
when God's presence seems hard to identify, when God's activity seems hard to pin down, I wonder if this too might be evidence of God's activity and God's presence. Is that too much to ask us to wonder about? I know for some of us it feels like, yeah, but Tuesday. <laughs> like, what am I? Ha- I? I know, I'm there, I'm with you. But to any outside observer looking at Jesus' life in the wilderness, they would say definitively, God has left him. God cannot be in this. Jesus, you heard wrong. Whatever you heard at your baptism, however you interpret it, this couldn't be what God had for you. Look at your life. Where's the glory Do the Son of God? Where's the accolades? Where's the praise? Where's the recognition? Where's the throne? To any objective outside observer, Jesus in this moment looks like a total failure. God seems completely absent. It looks like Jesus has totally missed what God has for him. Or as though God himself is just gone. Could it be that for God's people in this particular moment, the insanity of this election season, the divisions exposed in this time, the deep pain and the deep hurt that is kind of rupturing to the surface, the fear and the anxiety that many of us have felt, could it be that this wilderness experience is actually possibly evidence of God's presence with us. Is that too much? Is that too much? Is that too much? Could it be that in this moment, God is asking us, like God the Father asked the Son, to be faithful in this place and in this time? Could it be that evidence of God's presence with us is that you and I choose to be faithful here and now. That we don't panic. That we don't let fear win. That we don't try to force ourselves out of the wilderness before God leads us out of the wilderness. Could that be evidence that God is with us in this place? That God is for us in this time. When the watching world looks in and says, the church is divided, the church is splintered, the white, white Christians are voting for this person, now the other Christians are voting, could it be that even right now, our decision to be faithful, to stay put, to choose to love rather than hate, to choose to empathize rather than divide, to choose to continually show up to our neighbors, to not get distracted by this and instead focus on the person next to me, to my neighbor next to me, and what God is doing there. Could it be that this is evidence? Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. So now listen to what Paul says. Let's shift. Listen to what Paul says. Paul's writing to a people, a new church, in the Roman Empire, a, 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 a minuscule minority of the people in that city who 
confess Jesus as Savior, potential persecution, all around them, statues to Caesar, statues to the goddess Aphrodite in Ephesus, big temples, all around them, the Christians looked and could see evidence of who was claiming to be in charge. Are you with me? All around the currency, Caesar's head, Caesar's face, all around them, everywhere they looked, intentionally designed to remind everybody who was actually in charge, who had the final say, who you needed to fear. Listen to what Paul says. To a people who knew this wilderness moment. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order, enlightened, given light to the eyes of your heart, that darkness will be pushed away, that you could see clearly. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hope is different than wishful thinking. Amen? Hope is confident in the future God has promised. To the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of you who believe. Now watch what he does. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So Paul says, all around you, who's saying they're in charge, who's claiming your allegiance, who's saying they have authority over you. In this wilderness place, in this desert place, Paul says he brings them back to the cross. And he says the power that is available to you You to feel like you, those of you who feel like you have no power, those of you who feel powerless, those of you who seem small in comparison to the political candidates of our day. Paul says the same power that what? That raised Jesus from the dead is available and present to you. Now the thing that matters about this for us in our moment is that nobody was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. That story was done. It was over. The tomb was sealed. The so-called Messiah was dead forever. So the power that was exhibited was a power that surprised everybody. And the power that was exhibited was an upside-down power. It was a power that came through death, through sacrifice, through laying down Jesus' life. Paul says, in this moment in Ephesus, when it looks like you're losing, when it looks like your life doesn't count, when it looks like the message of Jesus is falling on deaf ears, Paul says the same resurrection moment that happened then is available to you now. Amen? The same moment that seemed bleak and despairing and shadowy as though it were all done, as though it were all over, as though no one would hear the name of Jesus any longer. Paul says that same moment is available to you here And now, in Ephesus, in the wilderness, the principalities and powers are all claiming to lord over you. Just give me a couple more minutes. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I think I have two more points. I'm not sure. I don't have any notes. I think I have two more points. (laughs) Paul says not only only is Jesus raised from the dead, not only is that same power available to you now, but even now Paul says that resurrected Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven. Even now Jesus is seated on, on his heavenly throne, placing all enemies under his feet. Do you see why we need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened? Do you see why we need faith in this kind of moment? I mean, everything is trying to get you and I to believe Anything of significance hinges on on what happens on Tuesday. And I have made abundantly clear, in ways that are not always subtle, what I think about one particular candidate. So you all know how I feel about this election. You all know that I think this is a moment that is worth our outspoken resistance. You all know that. But everything around us is trying to convince us that anything of significance and import is is hinging in the balance on Tuesday. It's a lie. It's a lie. Paul says that even in this moment in Ephesus, where everything seems to be against you, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on high. Even right now, that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened so that you can begin to see this and imagine this, Jesus is ruling and reigning and making all things right. Even now, Jesus, who has humiliated, the Bible tells us, the principalities and powers of this world by his resurrection on the cross, is even now advancing his victory in this world. Even now and even in this place. So we care deeply about what happens on Tuesday, amen? And we're going to be actively engaged in different ways. But do you know what evidence would be that you and I believe that Jesus is on the throne? You know what evidence would be? That she would sleep like a baby tonight and Monday night. Those of you who are addicted to that 538 blog, refreshing it every like 30 seconds, that she maybe wouldn't look at it the rest of this season that we're in. Even now, Jesus is ruling and reigning. And his kingdom is not dependent on our vote on Tuesday. Verse 22. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay. I, I think it's my last point. Paul ends, he's, he's given us this kind of beautiful, radiant vision of faithfulness to the one who's ruling and reigning. There's the wilderness moment. There's faithfulness in the wilderness. Paul says, even now in this place, resurrection power is available to you. And then he ends by kind of turning our attention not away from Jesus, but to where Jesus is present now. 
And what does Paul say? Where is Jesus present now? Where is Jesus present now? Come on, come on, come on. Where is Jesus present? I'll read it again. I'll read it again. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So it's not enough for us to end and just say, okay, I feel better in my heart now about whatever happens on Tuesday because Jesus is still going to be on the throne. Paul, doesn't, Paul won't let us do that. Why? Because he says, in this time and in this place, the evidence of the resurrected Jesus' power is us. Us. The church. So that if a watching world wants to know what faithfulness in the wilderness looks like in this time and place, who do they look at? Us. Are we, as the body of Christ, bearing witness to the resurrection power that is available to us in Ephesus, in Babylon, in Chicago? Are we, in the way that we live together, love one another, care for each other, advocate for the good for our neighbors, lay our own lives on the line, are we demonstrating Are we showing, are we explaining Jesus' resurrection power among us right now? That's the challenge. That's what you and I are being invited into. So, I think I'm done. In a minute, we're going to celebrate communion. But I want to actually take a minute and I want us to pray together. I want us to pray for one another. I want us to pray for our country. I want us to pray for this election season. But I want us to do so as people deeply convinced that Jesus is in charge. I want us to pray as those who are convinced that though it may feel like we're in the wilderness, God is present with us right now. Amen? So, how do I want to do this? I want you all to pray. So, uh, in spite of you know, some, my, my son's chatter, um, I'm going to open us up. And then as you feel led, just pray out a short prayer. Thanking God, praising God, asking God for something specific. But let's in this moment, let's pray as the, as the, as the body of Christ. Let's pray as the resurrected body of Christ. Let's pray as people who have known the wilderness, who have suffered in the wilderness, who have great conviction. Let's pray as those who are convinced that Jesus rules and reigns from on high. So God, we ask that you'd hear our prayers right now. We lift up our our country to you. We lift up this election to you. Holy Spirit of God, in in these few minutes, would you help us to pray as those whose, whose hearts have been enlightened, who can see beyond the wilderness, who can see beyond the moment of testing and trying, who can see beyond the noise and can see Jesus right now on the throne, in charge, advocating for us, praying for us, opposing uh, all of your enemies. Help us to pray with that kind of faith in this moment.
That's good. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yes. Yes. Jesus. 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 Yes. Take just a couple more minutes, church. Pray out boldly so that we can join you. Mm-hmm. 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 
Jesus, thank you. We ask your forgiveness, ways we've let fear have too strong of a voice in our head. We ask for forgiveness for ways we have at times exacerbated divisions. We ask for forgiveness for any ways in which we have made this moment or other moments more important or less important than they should be. We ask, Lord God, that we would be wise in how we live today and tomorrow and Tuesday and then the next day. That you would give us an increased measure of faith. We would be willing to remain where you have us as long as you want us to be here. That we would come to see and interpret moments that can feel like absence. That we would see, Lord, your presence in that, in that place that we would sense your activity in our lives, even when from an outside perspective it may feel like we've been isolated and left alone. Let us represent your Son well in the wilderness. Let our life together bear witness to the one who was led by the Spirit and the one who was led out by the Spirit. We entrust this country to you again. We ask that you would 
we ask that you would uh, exercise your sovereignty in whatever way you choose to do so. We ask that justice would be done and that mercy would be shown. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we need to hold hands today. We're in this together, okay? Right across the aisle. You're not in this by yourself. You have not been left alone. will be sent from this place as a part of a people who've been set apart to demonstrate to our world what our God is like and who our Savior is. So receive this benediction. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, that you may know, that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above, listen, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Can I add politician and pundit? And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Us, new community, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So send us as your representatives. Send us as a faithful people in the wilderness. Send us as a people whose hearts have been enlightened to believe and to see once again that you rule and reign on high. The right hand of the Father making all things right. Bless this food. Bless the hands that prepared them and brought it to us today. Let our conversation be seasoned with grace and encouragement to one another. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Go in peace.